0: Hey, everyone. Today's guest is actor, producer, and podcaster Sean Hayes, who I first came to love in Will & Grace. He's been in the industry for a long time, so he's seen a lot and has some great stories. You should definitely check out his podcast, Smartless, with Will Arnett and Jason Bateman. I know it's been a while since we've talked with you, our listeners. I really just didn't know what to say. These past months have certainly been a little confusing. But this week, I'm really excited to have Dan Savage of Savage Lovecast join me to help answer your questions. I've been a fan of Dan since my days in Edmonds, Washington, where I used to read his columns in The Stranger, the Seattle alternative newspaper that I loved so much. So I really hope you enjoy this episode. Now, here's (laughs) Sean.
1: Ladies and gentlemen,
2: you are listening to Unqualified with your host Anna Ferris.
0: So, you just launched a new podcast. How how are you liking the experience?
1: I am having a blast. You know, it's called Smart Less. Smart less. Like we're less smart which is true, and it's me and Jason Bateman and Will Arnett. And uh, the three of us have been friends for decades, always you know, play poker together, hang out together, do dinners together, and we just have a common bond through comedy and curiosity about the world. And Will was talking about doing some podcasts, and then Jason and I kind of shoved ourselves in there and said, why don't we just all do one? It might be super fun, and wouldn't you know it, we laugh so hard doing it. And it's a great excuse to get together once a week.
0: Obviously, you do it like over Zoom or something, right?
1: Yeah, we were putting it together before this whole pandemic thing started. But what's really fun about the the little kind of twist in our show is every episode, one of us acts as the host and brings on a guest that the other two don't know about. So the other two get to be surprised like the audience is.
0: Are you feeling a little bit of the pilot euphoria? <laughs>
1: I am. I think I realized the work that it takes. First and foremost, the only reason we're doing it is to hang out and talk to people and have a good time. And
0: can we do this like in six months? And will you recount these things? Can I be on your podcast? Maybe? Yes, I would
1: love if you were on our podcast. Uh,
0: can I be like the old, bitter person that's like, oh, you kids don't even know what you're getting into? Yeah,
1: for sure. Why? What <laughs> can you give me words of advice? Like, what are you talking about? I have no advice. Are you getting tired of it? or
0: No, I think my stories are old, Sean. Yeah?
1: Well, you know what Oprah would say? What? Oprah would say, create new stories.
0: So I have to lie?
1: No, you. same thing with goals and strategies and whatever. I'm a huge goal person. Ever since I was in my early 20s, like just out of college, I got inspired by this one person to write goals and... So I still do it every year, but completely stream of conscious goals. Like I should eat better. I should call this person. I want to do this in business. I want to help this relationship, whatever it is. It has to do with people, money, career, charities, everything in your life that you've ever wanted to accomplish. So doing that gives me purpose to then once I've reached those goals to create other goals. And that's my long-winded way of saying create new stories, not create them, but just like you're filled with tons of stories. You just don't know it. You just need to be prompted.
0: I like the idea that you're the host of my podcast.
1: <laughs> well, like for instance, like you're wearing this ring right now. Yes. Okay. So there's a story behind that ring and why that ring and why that style of ring and who gave it to oh you? Oh
0: my God. I am totally interviewing like a podcast host. <laughs> it's true, but you're right.
1: We can't stop being curious. Right. so I'm curious about that ring and I'm curious about, you know, why you showed up in a robe. Well, with, with I- wet hair.
0: I know, I know. So I am at a motel. I am here with my fiance, Michael, who's right here. Oh, congratulations. I
1: met him earlier.
0: Yes, thank you. And his son, Daschle, who's about to turn 14, and my son, who's about to turn eight. Yes. Do
1: you remember when I bought your son, Jack? No, I don't. There's a story. Yes. So when I first met you and your ex-husband and your gorgeous, amazing son, Jack... I noticed that he had these really awesome cool glasses on that had black frames. And I thought, oh my gosh, he looks a little like Chicken Little. So after I met him, I sent Jack, a Chicken Little uh, stuffed animal and a book. So he could feel like he could relate to a character that also wears the same glasses.
0: Sean, I do remember that. Okay, good. Are you a good gift giver?
1: I'm pretty good, yeah. I like to give lots of gifts and I like to be there for people. And I think one of my biggest faults and greatest things at the same time is uh, a caretaker. So I feel like I constantly have to take care of people and situations, but I like that.
0: This is fascinating to me. Uh Oh, we hit on a story. Yeah, yeah. I want to test your caretaking abilities. Okay, great. I love being tested. So... Would you take me to the airport if I had like a five thirty a.m. flight?
1: If all other options have been exhausted, yes. Okay, but that but, would be hard but, to believe because you are you, and Uber has been invented.
0: Okay, let's say for some crazy reason I've rented a cabin up at like Mammoth Lakes. Okay, and a couple of things have happened. I betrayed <laughs> everybody in my life. Okay. I'm in a friendless situation. Got it. But I broke my wrist.
1: Oh, God. Would I carry your groceries for you?
0: Well, is there any way you would drive up to Mammoth? Yeah, I could do that. And I'm craving blueberries.
1: Yeah, and so I would either pick them or I would buy them. Oh, picking them would
0: be ideal.
1: Okay, so I would pick them for you. I would deliver them for you. And because of your broken wrist, I would feed them to you.
0: That'd be amazing.
1: So So. did I pass or...
0: Yeah, but what about my armpit hair? It's getting longer. Yeah. You haven't even asked why I betrayed all my friends.
1: I'm so sorry. I thought it was like a
0: very personal thing. And then (laughs) I didn't want to go there. I was like, hey, roll around in this poison oak. To your friends? Yeah. Okay. I said, it's not poison oak. Okay. But yeah, for sure you guys should roll down this hill. And so they all did. But I have built up my immunity to poison oak.
1: This game makes me feel really good about our podcast.
0: (laughs) Can I give you some life questions, Sean? I would love it. All right. Are you ready? Yes. If you could live anywhere in the world for a year, where would it be and why?
1: You know what? I love San Francisco. And I lived there for like three months when I was doing a play called An Act of God. And... I just think it's the most magical city. I mean, I'm from Chicago and I love Chicago and Chicago will always be number one. But to live for a year, I just love everything about San Francisco. I love the weather because it feels like fall every day. And I love the quaintness of it and the people.
0: Yeah. Okay. What character in a play have you been able to like reinvent well night after night?
1: You know, it's such a good question. It's always hard to do the same thing every night, the same lines, but but there's also something glorious about it in that you're like, you know, the audience might, well, the audience wouldn't know because it's the first time seeing it, but like people in the cast and people in the production, they might not even know that you're trying something different, but that's, I find tremendous joy in like, you know, I've been doing it this way for the last 53 shows, maybe the next 20, I'll try it this way. And then, you know.
0: So was there a performance or a character that made that? easier? Than-
1: probably. Um, yeah, probably when I played God in an act of God and the conceit of that show. It's a one man show. It was written by David Jabberbaum, who was the head writer of The Daily Show for 13 years or something. He's a brilliant writer. And Joe Mantello, who's directed it, he's a good friend and incredible director. And every night it would change. I would ask if I could rewrite certain jokes or certain lines because of what was happening in the world at the time. But it was a great role because the, the conceit was that God had grown tired of the Ten Commandments and chose Sean Hayes, the actor, to deliver the message of Ten New Commandments to the audience
0: every night. Ooh, I love this. It's based on this book called An Act of God. Give us some of your commandments, if you don't mind, Sean.
1: It was so long ago. I don't remember. It was a 90-minute monologue. You'd think I'd have some of it memorized but it all oh. left my body.
0: And that was on purpose.
1: Yeah, you think like when you do a musical or a play, you, you think you're going to go batshit crazy because um you're like, how am I ever going to get these songs or these lines out of my head? And you just need a month and you're like, oh, great. And anytime anybody says anything, like I got to go to Wells Fargo Bank to you know go to the ATM at the Wells Fargo. You go, oh, the Wells Fargo wagon is a... Everything's related back to that whatever show you're doing it's it's a nightmare and it's also glorious
0: what actor have you counted on that you could look at like during a stage performance that you're like okay this person has my back
1: oh god well chenowith Kristen chenowith i did promises promises with for a year eight shows a week for a year she's the best i mean she's right there for you. I was there for her. It was, you know, you have to have a solid relationship with the person or the people that you're Sharing the stage with. And that's the great thing about theater, right? You were in theater, weren't you? In high school and college, maybe. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. We got into theater because it was so fun, right? And you wanted to laugh. And at least that's my story. I wanted to hang out with the people that were so funny that reminded me of being on Saturday Night Live, which was all I ever wanted to, to do.
0: But with promises, promises, like could you look at Kristen and think like if you're fumbling with a line that maybe like for whatever reason, like you know it, it's right there.
1: Yes, absolutely. I, well, one night, Tony Goldwyn, you know, Tony Goldwyn, the actor.
0: Yeah, not personally.
1: No, but you know who he is. He was on Scandal. Yeah. Super, super great guy, super great actor. You know, Tony Goldwyn is the grandson or great-grandson of the Goldwyn's of MGM, Metro Goldwyn mayor. Yeah. I was on stage one night with Tony, and I could lean on him as well, and he's awesome. And I looked at him one night, and I just completely blanked with any of my lines and anything I had to say. <laughs> like. I didn't know where I went in my head. I was on autopilot, massive autopilot. And I looked at him and I go, and another thing, Mr. Sheldrake. And he goes, and he looked at me and there was silence in the audience, I look out in the audience to silence and I go, what is it? I didn't even say like line or <laughs> this, like, I didn't even try to like mask it. I just looked at Tony, I go, what is it? What do I say? And he and he just said it on stage. He goes, your next line is blah, blah, blah. And I go, oh, okay. So then I just kept going. It was awful.
0: Did the audience pick up on it? Yeah, for
1: sure. But they like when something goes wrong because it only happened to them. Yeah. But I have a worse story. An act of God on Broadway. One night, these two girls came in and I started the show. And it's a one-man show. There's two other angels who are great in the show, but it's focused on the one character. These two girls came in and you could just tell they were either high or wasted or whatever. And they were like in the fourth row, right in the center. And I started the show and all I did was be like, I am the Lord thy God. And they started laughing hysterically and I like didn't do anything yet, right? And then like two sentences later, they screaming with laughter, like, cause I said, these are my angels, my archangels, if you will. And they just howled. I was like, what, what's going on? All the audience around them was like, this isn't that funny yet. And I'm like, yeah, it's not funny yet. So this went on for about seven minutes and in my head, while I'm saying my lines, in the back of my head, I'm going, can I do the entire show like this? I don't think I can. I don't think the audience can. So I stopped the show. I go, I'm so sorry. God will be right back. (laughs) And I walked off the stage and the stage manager was already on it. She's like, what the fuck is going on with these people? I go, they're clearly under the influence of something major. I think we should stop the show. And he goes, I'm on it. And so These like four security guards had to come down and pull them out of the seat. And the whole audience cheered because they didn't want to be like, shut the fuck up, right? And then they went into the bathroom and vandalized the mirrors, uh, saying horrible things about Hillary Clinton. What? And then they were on the street, just completely out of their brains, screaming at signs. And then I came back on stage and I said, that's the power of God and I kept going and everybody clapped because the nightmare was over. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile.
2: With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices
0: I don't know if I would have been able to reposition my brain back into performance without that nagging on me. But that's the thing about live performance is that you do have those other things that are nagging at you that you attempt to dismiss.
1: Yeah, for sure. Like as long as you're in control of of the role and the stage, when you're out there, when it's your time to control it, I think um, anything is fixable. It's kind of like I studied piano growing up, and it was my major in college was piano performance. But you know, with piano, Mozart and Beethoven and Chopin and Schubert and Schumann and Scarlatti, whoever it is, the notes are the notes, right? So if you miss a note, it rings so loud and everybody knows, he just messed up. But in theater or comedy or whatever, if you mess up in a live show, you can fix it. You can improvise around it and then get back on track.
0: Do you think that Your musical discipline was very helpful in terms of like doing a multicam.
1: For sure. Yeah. The old cliche is true that music and comedy are the same because of rhythm and timing and the notation of your voice and all of that kind of plays in. It's very, very similar. So I think I learned a lot and I encourage any parent listening who has a child to, even if it's for a year or six months to pick up any instrument, a piano, violin, flute, whatever guitar and learn something because it does something to you. It's a language. It's just like learning Spanish or French or German or English or whatever. It's a language. And once you can absorb that, it kind of teaches you structure and it kind of teaches you goal setting because I would have piano lessons as a kid and my teacher would say, okay, by next week, I want you to learn these two pages. And she would never overwhelm me and say, learn these 20 pages of this Beethoven sonata. She'd be like, just focus on these two pages. And i was like, okay, I can wrap my head around that. And so I think it built in me the kind of idea to achieve anything you can through realistic goal setting and baby, small, tiny steps to get where you want. And a lot of people don't want to do those baby, tiny steps. They just want the big thing at the end. But anybody can get that if you just work your way towards it.
0: Sean, if you could compare, let's say, the multi-camera format Uh to a sport.
1: Well, because I'm known for sports is what you're saying. I am too. I'm known for my sporting ability. Me too. And agility. <laughs> I think the sport I would compare multicams to is tennis, maybe. I'm going to hit this ball to you and you hit it back to me. Or ping pong. Are you a ping
0: pong player, Ana Ferris? I hate anything with hand eye coordination. Okay. But I would have compared it in my experience to baseball sometimes you're like on outfield I didn't mean to ask the question like to bait you in any way but, oh, but I'm I love fascinated it fascinated by the idea of like sometimes you know when you're up to bat and sometimes you have to be the pitcher yep and hopefully you're all working for the same team
1: yes I love that that's exactly right Yeah. So, yeah, like on Will and Grace, we would follow that philosophy tenfold because all four of us had a theater background. And so, all four of us had a work ethic that we could count on. So, to your earlier question about who had my back on stage on Broadway, and it was Chenoweth and Tony Goldwyn and the whole cast and and crew and ensemble, everybody works together. And if you don't have that, it, it kind of falls apart. So, you know, on Will and Grace, we all had each other's back. And with the same theater background, we all understood that. This is your moment to shine, not mine. And now it's my moment to shine, not yours. So it was everybody can shine in all the moments anyway. You know, it's not like mine and yours, it's all the time. But yes, to your point, everybody has to be playing for the same team. Yeah. Have you ever done theater?
0: Yeah, I have, but it's been a long time. And truly, I think that doing mom has been the closest I've been to it, but it feels inaccurate in that the audience is there for free and they forgive you for all sins yep they enjoy it yeah. especially when we fuck up <laughs> and you don't realize it i think until you've worked in single camera stuff that there are places to hide yeah it could be as simple as like we're doing a scene in the kitchen and even though the camera won't be on me in the final product or whatever i'm still there and need to be reacting and still exposed and there's sure. still very much the idea of the fourth wall So still being very active in those moments. It feels really rewarding, and especially if the material is really strong and you have a strong idea of who your character is. But I do also think that what I find difficult about the multi-camera format is the servicing of the plot you know, obviously, like, I can't indulge in, like, my character wouldn't cross to the fridge right now because she's distressed about losing her job or, like, the minutia of that. Yeah. Okay. What is your favorite ice cream flavor? <laughs> We're starting out easy.
1: I love it. Now, let me ask you something. Yeah, I love it. I'll, I'll give you the ice cream in just a because it matches my personality. Vanilla is the answer. <laughs> <laughs> so... I'm curious about the world because you're so successful in the podcast world. And do you always do this fun kind of thing where you do
0: these one question? Not always. It's just fun to do the rapid like. Well, here's my theory. The theory was, is the idea like, okay, do we start out with sort of somewhat easy questions? Yes. And then get to them. Yeah. (laughs) But I don't always do this. And I think that part of it was a little bit of exhaustion with podcasting. But I'm always surprised at what these questions reveal. Yeah. I hope that you take my honesty as like a, a compliment Yeah, because I have- a, You're not the
1: only one I exhaust.
0: <laughs> I exhaust myself, God. But truly like attempting to have like meaningful conversations in an hour and a half- it's difficult. And in something that makes me feel like, oh, we're not just a f- couple of fucking ding dong celebrities that are like, oh right. yeah, well, what do we eat for breakfast today? I don't like right. egg whites or whatever that fucking shit is. Yeah. But what do you think? You're about to embark on this journey.
1: Yeah. I think, you know, you reach a certain age where all bets are off and you can ask me anything and I'll be honest. And at this point, you know, your fans are your fans and doesn't feel like you're gaining new ones or losing the ones that really love you. So we're both here because of the people that like us. So thank God for them. And we wouldn't be here without them. So I don't have a problem exposing myself any more than I've already have through these podcasts or through interviews or through anything. But I do think the celebrity thing, that I kind of understand that, but at the same time, fame is now new, it's different. It's not, everybody's famous. How do you mean? YouTubers, uh, TikTokers, uh, Facebookers, uh, you know, Instagrammers. Nobody's impressed with fame anymore.
0: So you're saying it's sort of the idea that fame has been redefined.
1: I think it's a different definition in the minds of the younger generation now. That's why I'm fascinated by actors who put things out or anybody, sports figures, actors, politicians, who's ever in the public eye. Who believe that audiences are just waiting for their next move (laughs) you know like people who really believe well i can't do that i can't be on that show i can't do that movie i can't do this play i can't because uh, i don't know if the audience is gonna no nobody cares the stars that drive projects are the ideas that's my strong belief is that sure it does take talent you want talent to be in the movies and the TV shows and the podcasts, and the plays and everything else that we're talking about. You want the best talent to occupy it, but ultimately people are tuning in or buying a ticket to see the idea more than anything, I think. So
0: like the idea of conceit, like if you have a strong conception of something. Yeah,
1: yeah, for sure.
0: Or a strong point of view.
1: Yeah, there are like certain action stars That are global stars, but you could just plug in another
0: action star and the movie would still make a ton of money because the movie's good. Do you have theories on why some humor, like what countries Will and Grace really translated to? For some reason, House Bunny did well in France. Yeah. Do you have theories on Will and Grace? Like in what countries do you know? I don't have that information or those
1: files readily available. I know it did well in the UK. Australia did well. Canada did well. I was in Italy and I think it did well in Italy, which is weird. Yeah. And cool. And Russia were huge. I'm kidding. I'm kidding.
0: Russia, scary movie, weirdly, did huge in Russia. How about that? I know. And clearly, I like to be scared there. I think it's like there's like the facial expressions or something that transcends language a bit.
1: Sure. Also called physical comedy, which I love. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah, once you get hit in the head and Yeah, or
1: walk into a glass door, it's always funny. That's why I'm a huge fan and tried to emulate it as best I could throughout my career because it does. It translates all over the world. Everybody can relate to it. It doesn't have a language. It just has a, a feeling and a visual aspect that you can get right away. But
0: I think that also there's a safety to multicam and the format of mm-hmm. the invitation. Mm-hmm. Just that familiarity that is interesting to
1: me yeah for sure
0: okay what's the best or worst advice you've ever been given
1: um it's the same the best and the worst advice i got was from jeffrey katzenberg who i love it was uh just be patient because you can't and at the same time i understand what he's saying so it was right at the beginning of my career that you in, i'm like okay this is what I want. I want to do this movie. I want to do this movie. I want to do this show. Or I just got came in with like all these ideas. And he goes, wait, slow down. Just be patient. And I was like, oh, but if I'm patient and I wait for the phone to ring, it's not going to ring. So it's all about being self-generating projects for yourself, right? Especially now more than ever. I don't know how you can exist in the entertainment business without being a multi-hyphenate. So I know what he meant, but at the same time, you cannot be patient you have to work your balls off. Thank God I, I'm still working that hard because I still have both of them. I love it. It's true, right?
0: Oh, completely. Yeah. But it also involves like you have to fucking trust in yourself.
1: Right. But it's also like, I understand what he means. Like don't walk into a room and be like a crazy person and say, I want to take over the world, figure out how to warm up to people and have them warm up to you and Create a relationship so that you can achieve the things you want. Just don't be desperate and don't come off like an
0: asshole. God, I had a meeting with Jeffrey Katzenberg not all that long ago, and I totally fucked it up by doing exactly that. Like consumed with enthusiasm and like, how do I sell one myself? And like, here I am.
1: But then you have to balance that with like what he's saying with, don't come in like a crazy person, but also work hard and work fast. (sighs) That's... (laughs) (laughs)
0: Can't it just come easy? (gasps) Yes. Hey, so Sean, what haven't you taken the time to learn about?
1: Oh God, patience. (laughs) (laughs) Still the most impatient person in the world. It's one of my greatest assets and biggest faults. is that. And so I still haven't learned that. Taking the time to learn about, you know, connection. Although I'm doing really well with that now more than ever. But when I was younger, it was connection and anxiety for sure.
0: That's a great answer. Thank you. It truly, yeah. What about you? Definitely those things, which I haven't thought about. So I guess I haven't taken the time. Here's a perfect example of going back to the goal thing, right? So
1: I believe that whatever is not in your life that you want, you can have. You know, there's always exceptions and everybody's situation is unique. But for the most part, if you have your health and your brain's, and you want something in your life, you can have it. And if you don't have it in your life, that means you don't want it that bad.
0: I love it that you speak about that because I think that I have so much that I want right now. And that's part of like this whole, the journey of what we've been going through as a community over the last six months has been A radical recognition on my end of like, fuck, I have the things that I need and want. Mm -hmm. I have like my health so far. I have like the people that I love, you know, dearly. And I have like the stupid material things that I would like. I already have that stuff. And so when I think about career exploration, it's been an odd idea in my head. Yeah. I think we're conditioned as actors, as entrepreneurs, to drive, 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 because that's all we've known is to be our own one-person business. Right. So then when that train is kind of stalled, how we... um, Pivot. Yeah. And the pivot has felt fucking awesome yeah, truly, like they, it felt so much like, okay, how do I get the next job? What do I do? Like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Right. So for me, there's been like I, I I've been adjusting to that idea of like, oh, the train has like stopped unexpectedly because someone pulled the cord, and it feels really good.
1: So when the train stops, take the car. If the car doesn't work, walk.
0: oh, completely. Do you feel any of that too? Like it's forced me in a beautiful way, I think, to just examine my own degree of ambition, which has been kind of great.
1: Yeah, I'm a very ambitious person. And again, I think it's all about the environment in which you grew up. That dictates whether you choose to be ambitious because it's a choice. You can't teach ambition, right? You either are, you aren't.
0: Sean, you are the youngest child, Right in a family in the world. Five, <laughs> in the world, do you have reflections upon how that, like how that influenced you?
1: Yeah, my father left when I was about five or six. Alcoholic mom raised five kids by herself, and she was the best mom in the world. Although she was, you know, working all the time, so she couldn't be around as much, um, but she was, she just, you know, would work and then come home and cook and then be exhausted. And, but she was always at the football games or my piano recitals or wherever. I don't know how she did it. She was like a saint, but that environment, you know having the car repossessed and the heat turned off in the winter for, in Chicago and having the phone turned off and your friend's like, I couldn't get a hold of you, what happened? And having to make excuses for all that because you were embarrassed and having your mom drop you off a block away when the car did come back but it's rusting and you were embarrassed to be seen. Like all of those things make you, you know, obviously the number one thing is appreciate everything. I mean, when Mm -hmm. I have a blanket and I'm warm, I am so grateful, I'm beyond appreciative. I'm like, I remember being that cold in Chicago and I never wanna go back. So that's where my ambition comes from. But how many stories do you have to read about an African American woman, and we all are talking about Black Lives Matter and how much the cards are stacked against people of color in this country and have been for fucking ever. And it's about time things changed. And I can't believe it's taken this long and I can't even believe we're still talking about it, but how many stories do you have to read about some African American woman who worked two jobs, put her kids through you know, school Everything was stacked against her and she did it. And it's like, if she can do it, everybody can, right? Everybody can. You have to want it. You have to put yourself in the face of opportunity. And the the end all be all is you have to want it. I talked to some of the kids that I, where I went to Illinois State University, which is such a great college and amazing theater program and music program. And I went back and spoke to them. And I say, I always do two things. I tell people to write down on a post-it, what do you want? What do I want? And then the next post that say, what am I waiting for? And that's all you need. Those are the two things you need to get what you want. What do I want? It could be I want to be president of the United States. And believe me, now anybody could be. I want to be president of the United States. I want to what? I want to open my own ice cream shop. I want to have a baking business, whatever it is. I want to own a pet grooming company, whatever it is. Okay, so that's what you want. Now, what are you waiting for? So then you just have to write down, yeah, what am I waiting for? Yeah. Why do I keep talking about that thing? Why don't I actually do the hardest part, which is make the first step in pursuing the goal that I want to do. And that's what this woman I'm talking about did. That's what I did. That's what you did. It just takes that first step to get to the thing that you want. So you don't have to say, what am I waiting for anymore? You're actually doing it.
0: 100%. Can I get back to a couple other things? Please. All right. My
1: favorite color.
0: No, your favorite rainy day movie.
1: Always and Forever, Amadeus.
0: I love that movie. Wait, what do you love about
1: it? Mozart was my forte, no pun intended, when I uh, studied piano. So I I learned every one of his sonatas and a lot of his piano concertos. And so I was obsessed, obsessed with Mozart. And then when that movie came out, I was 16 years old. I was like, oh my God. It's just very comfortable to me, that movie and those performances. I don't know much about music,
0: but that sequence where Salieri, is yep, very good. describing to the priest the beautiful sequence of like, yes, like as he's walking you through.
1: The confitates from the Requiem, yeah. yeah. And
3: yeah.
0: reading the notes, and it's like it came out of nowhere, and then comes yes. the oboe. Yeah. And I wish I knew more, but I know you know what I'm talking about. Yes, it,
1: best. One of the most iconic scenes in film.
0: And for somebody who doesn't know anything about music, having someone just witnessing the appreciation of what we could perceive as minutiae. Yeah. The same thing of like a tree aficionado being like, do you understand what's really special about this tree? This is why this particular beetle can't, infiltrate yeah, this I tree that, or check. whatever I like it's because this it's developed this kind of bark and yeah. these, or, I think we need that kind of you feel me on this yes for sure. I have a thirst for I want to appreciate the minutiae I want to appreciate handcrafted things or like things that somebody has valued and why
1: yes I think that too it comes with with age right like when you're a kid you just want to well, all I want to do is play video games and practice piano and go hang out with my friends. But yeah, I think that comes with age. I, I'm with you. I think you're on your way, though.
0: Thanks. Sean. You're welcome. Um, okay. Did you have a book that was particularly influential when you were younger?
1: There was a book as a child that I loved called "The Figure in the Shadows." It was like a mystery, and John Belair wrote this book called, and a series of books with this character. And anyway, I love those books. Is that kind of a boring answer? Probably. It is a
0: little bit, but but only because I'm not familiar.
1: Sure, sure. <laughs> okay, Where the Sidewalk Ends. How about that? I read that when I was like, I don't know, six years old, seven?
0: Probably over and over and over again. Over and
1: again. Sarah Sylvia this I would not yeah. take the garbage out.
0: Remember that? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. it was like sort of beautifully dark. Shel's Silverstein steam was, was just incredible. Yes. Okay. In one word, how would you like to be remembered? Oh, in one word? I know.
1: What everything I'm thinking of sounds, you know, cliche and pompous and egotistical and sound, <laughs> or boring. Like one more such a good question.
0: Okay, present. Oh, present is great. I was going to say remarkable for you. <laughs> it isn't an easy question, and if you had a quick answer, it would be egotistical. <laughs> you asked me how would I like to remember?
1: Remarkable. Remarkable. And inc- absolutely incredible. I know it's two words, but they're both needed.
0: Generous. I would say. <laughs>
1: generous. I love that. I would like to be remembered as generous.
0: You yes. are. <laughs> Sean, I can't thank you enough. Yeah, for sure. I adore you. I love it too. Thank you.
2: Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank.
0: Hey everyone, I'd like to introduce you to Dan Savage. You might already know him from Savage Love, his internationally syndicated relationship and sex column, his podcast, Savage Lovecast, or the It Gets Better movement. Dan has been doing this kind of thing for nearly 15 years and he's really good at it. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good, good, good. So we're going to call Julian. Hello? Hey, Julian. It's Anna Ferris.
2: Hi, Anna. How are you?
0: Thank you so much for doing this. And we've got Dan Savage here as well.
3: Hi, Dan. Hey, Julian. How are you? Really good. Good.
0: So, Julian, tell us what's going on.
2: Yeah. Okay. So, this is pretty much a question of how to end a relationship with someone who I really do love him. He's great. But I'm not in love with him. And... He's clearly still infatuated with me and loves me a lot. And the thing is, we've really only been together for about five months, which seems pretty short. But due to the pandemic and quarantining, we've been together pretty much 24-7 because we don't really have jobs at the moment because we both work in restaurants. So it's been like nonstop hanging and it's been really fun. There have been some like rough fights, but really just a pretty serious, intense, committed relationship at the moment. And I think... The issue I'm having is since I'm pretty young, I'm 23, almost 24, he's 35, so there's a bit of an age difference. And I feel like I still have a lot of things I want to do on my own and be independent and have the freedom to do things I wouldn't have in a relationship, really. And I live in LA. I've been here for like less than a year because I just graduated college. So I still have a lot of things that I feel like I need to do um, alone. And I also don't really see myself with him in the future i think he'd be like a great best friend to have because i truly do adore him but it's just something i'm not really ready for so i'm not sure how to end this especially during quarantine when he's like the only person i'm seeing
0: yeah do you you live together
2: at the moment so i have my own apartment with a roommate but i've really been spending all my time at his apartment i really don't go to my own
0: and you're worried that he'll be pretty devastated
2: yeah, I am. I think he's going to be super hurt. I really worry that he like won't talk to me again, because it's just kind of, a, I feel like the person that he is, I just feel like he's either going to hate me, or just feel so sad and uncomfortable that he's not going to want to interact with me for like a really
3: long time, at least. He gets to decide who's in his life on his own terms, and you can't stay with him for the next, what, five, six decades, if you have an average lifespan? because you're afraid of not being his friend or him not wanting to be your friend. What Mm -hmm. is the odd, complicating circumstance here is the pandemic. You know, you say you want freedom to do things alone, but right now you don't have the freedom to really do much on your own because of the pandemic. It's hard to date, uh, it's hard to get a job, but what are you gonna do with the freedom that ending this relationship in your head represents to you?
2: Yeah, exactly. It'd be so nice to have him during the rest of the quarantine, but I also don't really want to lead him on either and be disrespectful in that way. So I'm also scared to leave it at the moment.
3: Yeah. That's a real problem when you end a relationship. When you know you want to end a relationship, I always tell people they should end it promptly, especially if you want to end a relationship with someone who's a good and decent person and you like them, even love them as a friend. The moment they realize that you wanted to dump them six months ago or a year ago or five years ago, however much pain that is built into getting dumped is quintupled multiplied by 10 by the humiliation of knowing that there was this long period where you knew it was over. They didn't know it was over. They were making a larger and larger emotional investment that now they know they shouldn't have made. And they're humiliated by that. And sometimes it's not the breakup Mm -hmm. that people can't get over and get past to get to friendship. It's the humiliation of knowing that they were still going all in and you were letting them at a time when you had already decided it wasn't going to work out.
0: Julian, does he have an idea that you are pulling away? Does he have any inkling of this?
2: Yeah, I definitely think he does because we we had a conversation a, a few weeks ago. I mean, it was me essentially being like, I'm not sure this is what I want. I'm not sure I'm still in love with you. And then that's when he like really broke down and he like was begging me to give him a second chance. I was like, sure, really? Because I didn't know what to do. I was so heartbroken to see him so crushed, even though I, I don't think that like a second chance is what's gonna you know fix our relationship because it's not necessarily broken it's just I kind of want to be single
3: what is it that you want to do that you can't do while you're with is it about needing to reconceive what the boundaries of the relationship or an understanding about the relationship is it sexual freedom that you want get specific
2: yeah so definitely sexual freedom I feel like I need to focus on my career a lot more and I mean overall I'm just not in love with him so it's not a relationship that I know I want in the end game
0: And Julian, I bet, too, that as these thoughts kind of solidify, especially during this intense time, I think that Dan is right that for both parties concerned, making the, you know, the gentle moves to break up is wise sooner rather than later. This might not matter, but I'm curious. I've never really been in a relationship with much of an age difference. Dan, do you think, could you weigh in on this? Have you been in a relationship with a significant age difference?
3: (laughs) Uh, Yes. Yes. Um, Even a larger age difference and a successful ongoing relationship with a larger age difference. Actually, you know, my husband and I have been together 25 years. We're seven years apart in age. We are open and poly, I guess I've had to embrace that term, even though it sometimes makes me roll my eyes into the back of my head. And so I have a a boyfriend and he has a boyfriend and there's a 20 year age difference in both those relationships. Mm -hmm.
0: What challenges does that present? Because I think after a certain age, it becomes pretty negligible. But 23 and having just graduated college and you moved to Los Angeles, there's a lot of change in your life and then we're in quarantine.
3: I actually don't think age difference, you know, I say this as the older partner in a relationship with a significant age difference, I don't think it matters that much if both people are on the same page emotionally and goal-wise and what they want and there's, you know, that strong emotional and sexual connection. And often when there's a large age difference in a relationship and things aren't working because there's not an emotional connection, because they don't want the same things, people will just lump that into the age difference and blame the age difference. And it's not about the age difference necessarily. You're young. There's things you want to do. There's things you want to experience. All that is true. All that you could have in the relationship, if you you could define the boundaries of the relationship to allow it. But at the bottom, what's going on here is you're not in love with him. And he could be your age. He could be born on the same day, in the same hour, the same minute, and you could still not be in love with him. And then you'd have to blame something else besides the obvious glaring age difference. Do you know what I mean? It's usually the thing that looms largest that we want to pin the blame to when, you know, I don't hear you saying he condescends to you. I don't hear you saying, you know, he has retrograde 35 year old ancient attitudes that you as a younger worker person can't abide. You're just not in love with him. And that's not about age difference. Yeah.
0: Fuck Dan, you're good at this. <laughs> <laughs> but I agree with what you said, Dan about what I interpret as honesty or, you know, being up front. There are mixed messages being sent. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Julian has been going over there every day, too. So the actions maybe are not reflective of the... Julian, I'm sorry, I don't mean to speak about you as though you're not here. (laughs) (laughs) So you know how people tend to grasp tighter, which can also be a turnoff to the partner who is, you know... Questioning the relationship. I don't know, Julian, if your boyfriend is more I don't like to use the term clingy, but I guess or tightening his kind of his grip if he's expressing a lot of neediness, which can make you feel guilty if, if, you, if you want to break up with him, of course.
3: <laughs> and again, if you know you're gonna end it and you had this conversation where you tried and he said, Give me another chance and you gave him another chance, knowing it was hopeless, and now he's making this effort that is futile when you do ultimately dump him if he realizes that effort that you allowed him to make was futile then you know on top of the humiliation there's going to be some anger for you wasting his time and you know encouraging him to try when you knew that there was nothing he could do or try that was going to salvage the relationship if you know it's over end it
2: yeah i totally
0: agree But it is a crazy time right now. Are you really nervous to suddenly be alone in retreat and be in your own apartment with your roommate? Does that idea kind of freak you out? Is that why you're also putting this off?
2: Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that's part of it. It's not like a huge, huge fear of mine. But I mean, I w- yeah, I think I will say like at the moment he like is my best friend. And it just feels like a really heartbreaking thing to not be around him during such a, like a lonely time. So, yeah, I, I definitely agree with that.
3: But your presence in his life, as heartbreaking as it is to contemplate not having this best friend, is founded on a lie. A lie you are telling him or encouraging him to believe in or allowing him to believe in. That there's something more possible here, something more going on here than you know is possible or is going on. And it's don't lie to your best friend if you want to salvage the relationship. Yeah. You know, there is some discourse out there. People are talking like it's okay to keep somebody in your life right now because they're your pandemic flashlight. You know what I mean? Because they're giving you emotional mm-hmm. sexual support and replacing that person right now would be hard. But as this goes on and on and on, because this is America and we can't do anything right, treating somebody like that isn't like, you know, we're going to do that for six weeks. We're going to do that for what, two years and then end the relationship and the person's going to realize they were just your pandemic flashlight all along. I don't think that that's the way you would want to be treated. And for me, it always comes down to the golden rule. You should treat other people how you want to be treated. Mm-hmm. And whether you can get a friendship out of the end of a relationship is usually about how you ended the relationship. Because mm-hmm. if it ends in a you know in a, in a terrible way that makes the person feel like they were shoved through a meat grinder, or lied to, or misled, or abused, or used, no friendship is possible. If it ends even if it's painful in a respectful way, maybe a relationship, a friendship in the future is possible. Mm-hmm.
0: Dan, I think your advice is great. I do wonder though, practically, like what happens? Let's say. Julian breaks up with his boyfriend in like the next week or whatever. And then he's back at his apartment alone with his roommate and then and feels kind of restless and lonely and misses this boyfriend. And then maybe they get back together and the whole breakup sort of prolongs itself because of circumstance. Julian, could you see that world happening? Maybe it's already happened.
2: Oh yeah I mean I, I it hasn't happened yet but I can because I haven't really had a break from him but I can totally imagine a world which it does but I do think I have the resilience to like give it space if I need to like if I do break up with him I do think that I'm strong enough to like not fall back into the
3: relationship maybe a friends with benefits thing is possible after a a, a short breakup where you're both on the same page about that and it, You know, I think one of the things that may be giving you cold feet or giving other people in similar circumstances cold feet about the relationships they're in now that have sort of been rushed by the pandemic is how much time you're spending together. Because when you're in a relationship in, you know, a normal universe or at a normal time, you go to work, he goes to work, maybe he's going to see some friends or has a family commitment and you're going to be apart from each other for a night or a weekend. And then you get to come back together and you're happy to see each other again. When you're together 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Four months on end, that's not how any healthy relationship works. It's not good for any relationship. Even if you were madly in love with someone, you need time away from them. And maybe you would feel more in love with them if, the, if you guys had made a conscious effort to build time apart into even pandemic time by you going for bike rides alone or something. Sometimes I think, you know, th- this pandemic is just really warping our lives in in ways that are distorting our own perceptions of our own relationships. I'm not saying that maybe if you spent some time apart, you'd be in love with them, but you'd certainly feel less pressured right now.
0: Totally. So Julian, would it make you feel comfortable if you told him these feelings, but with the idea, maybe this isn't fair to your boyfriend. But with the idea of let's try to spend four days away from each other and not talk, and then at the end of the four days, you can have some degree of assessment, perhaps. I don't know if that is fair or practical, but I do think, you know, oftentimes breakups, especially I can only imagine now, but they go through those, the elongated breakup, you break up, you get back together, and then each iteration of getting back together shortens itself. And then in like Mm -hmm. two years, eventually you're broken up.
3: (laughs) (laughs) And think of the people and the opportunities you missed in the two years you were very slowly breaking up.
0: Oh, completely, Dan. Yeah. But during this intensity, Julian, I don't know if that is something that maybe your boyfriend would agree to. And truly in like a week or two weeks, you can assess. I mean, it sounds like (laughs) you'll miss his company.
3: And But that's often, what you're suggesting is often a really good way, you know, if you're afraid of breaking up with somebody because they won't be able to live without you and they'll be so devastated, to take that break, often what that person that you're afraid is going to be devastated realizes during that break is they're not that devastated, that they don't miss you as much as they thought they would. And it makes when you come back together, you may find when you get back together after that break, if it's two weeks or a month, that they're the one dumping you that they're ready to exit the relationship too. That what they feared being alone was not as scary in the end as being in a relationship that they knew wasn't going anywhere and wasn't working.
0: I was in a relationship for like seven years. And after I ended it, I couldn't believe that he could make his own dentist appointments. I didn't know that. (laughs) I was in that relationship for so long because I would think to myself, he does not know what to do without me. Mm-hmm. And that's a big youthful sentiment, and it's a big burden to carry.
3: And it's a way for someone to control you, yeah, by convincing you that you know if you left, they would fall apart, and so you hesitate to leave. And that's not—I mean, sometimes it's a subconscious strategy on the part of the person who knows they're about to be dumped or wants to ensure they might not get dumped by like upping their helplessness the longer they're in the relationship to to prevent you from exiting or making you feel like you can never exit. Hey, hey, Julian, can I ask, how's the sex?
2: Yeah, it's pretty good. I mean, I will say we are, like, somewhat open. So we are able to, like, you know, get other people involved sometimes, which is fun. But the sex with him specifically is becoming less and less exciting.
3: All right. You know what you need to do. How's the
0: Netflix watching?
3: (laughs) (laughs) That was the chill. How's the Netflix? (laughs) You know, know, it's not
2: where I want it to be anymore. I feel like I'm losing interest pretty fast in it. So I love the idea of taking time apart and hoping that like he can see that the relationship maybe is not something he wants or that he's actually okay being alone. I love that idea.
0: And Julian, you know, you haven't been disparaging at all towards him. It sounds like you do love him. And I don't know, maybe he would be open to that idea. And that eases the pressure on both of you guys for the time being for maybe the next month or or whatever time period you guys can decide on. But I would be honest, you know, I think like Dan said, maybe you can be friends with benefits, but you have to give them that choice. And it, it sounds like you're a sensitive person, which is a good thing.
3: And that's often a problem when it comes to any relationship, because Julian, you sound like a good, kind person. And to be a good, kind person in a situation where you know that there's something you have to do that's going to cause this person that you have good feelings about a tremendous amount of pain, you hesitate. Because how do you Reconcile that with your self-conception as a good person who's in this position where you have to hurt someone that you have feelings for, had feelings for. Mm -hmm.
0: Dan, you could have saved me a lot of money in my life.
3: (laughs) And you can be a good person and end a relationship that's not right. Because the shitty thing to do is to allow it go on and on and on and allow that person to make what is a fruitless investment in you. Mm -hmm. That's not a good thing to do either. You know, you feel like it's not good to like hurt somebody. It's not good to let somebody... Believe something that isn't true and mm-hmm. believe in a relationship that is ending and invest in that relationship.
0: My mom always told me growing up to be selfish in love. And I I grappled with that idea, but I really do believe it now. At the time I didn't understand exactly what she meant, but I think that in protecting your heart, you're also protecting his heart
3: too. And his other organs. <laughs>
0: and other organs. Yes. That's true, Dan. That's why you're so good at this. Bring it back to the dick.
3: (laughs) I'm really enjoying this. I mean, I enjoy doing this on The Savage Lovecast, my podcast. But, like, I love this uh, three-way conversation. I've always been a fan of the three-way in all forms. (laughs) We love
2: those. (laughs) Uh, Amazing. Thank you.
0: Julian, were we helpful at all?
2: Oh, my God, yes.
0: Oh, good. Quarantine issues are pretty fascinating and intense right now. It's a time when I don't think any of us really know what we're doing.
3: Well, Julian knows what he needs to do. Julian needs to go break a heart.
2: Oh, yeah, sounds like it. I'm uh, sorry, Julian. Dan and Anna. you guys are amazing. Thank you
3: so much.
0: Thank you so much. Keep us posted, okay?
2: Okay, I will.
0: Thanks, Julian. <laughs> bye. Okay, bye. Take care. Hey, Dan, what are you doing for the rest of the day?
3: Uh, well, just my my dumb podcast, the Savage Lovecast, now in its fourteenth year.
0: Fourteen years—that
3: is crazy, isn't it?
0: Well, you're amazing at it. Thanks. Let's please talk again. I would love that. Uh, anytime. All right. All right. Bye.